Now the Gospels are full of amazing stories of how people met Jesus and how their lives were transformed by the encounter. That's why I'm calling this series Meet Jesus. Because the wonderful truth is that even today, men and women and boys and girls are meeting Jesus and their lives are similarly being changed. So we're going to look at some of those stories from the Gospels and in the process we're going to learn some things about how Jesus deals and meets with people like us. We're going to find some great encouragement from these stories. And here's the story of some of the first disciples from John's Gospel, chapter 1. And the first thing that we learn from the stories we're going to look at is that Jesus will reward your quest. Jesus will reward your quest. Now this is what it says in John 1 from verse 35. The following day John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's disciples heard this they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them. They were following. What do you want? he asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he replied. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying and they remained with him for the rest of the day. Now in my Bible, this passage is headed First Disciples. But actually, Andrew and his unnamed friend in this incident are first of all disciples of John the Baptist. And it's John the Baptist who points to the Lord Jesus and says, there's the Lamb of God. And this sparks their curiosity and they follow the Lord Jesus. But then Jesus noticed them and he turns round and he says to them, what do you want? What are you looking for? Now, they're quite good questions to ask ourselves, aren't they? What do you want? What am I looking for? What do I want to get out of life? And that was the kind of drift of that very innocuous question that Jesus was asking. What are you really looking for? What are you seeking? Good question to ask ourselves. Some time ago, I met a highly qualified optometrist on a flight to India. And we very naturally got into conversation together. And there came a point in the conversation where I felt prompted to ask this very devout Hindu lady a quite a leading question. And the question I asked her was this. If you had one wish for yourself that you could ask God for, what would it be? I wonder how you would answer that question. Well, this Hindu lady thought for a few moments and then she said, I would ask for salvation. Salvation. I couldn't believe my ears. I was astounded. This lady is looking for salvation. So I had the joy and privilege and opportunity of asking if I could explain with her my understanding of salvation from the scriptures, which she consented to, and I was able to share the gospel with her, how salvation is not something we earn by our good works, but is a gift of God. 
and then I asked if I might pray with her, which I did. Eventually our journey came to an end and we parted ways, but we've been in touch ever since. In fact, only this past week we were in email contact again. Why am I telling you this story? Because here is someone who is seeking. And I believe very soon Jesus will reward her quest and she will find salvation. You see, Jesus took the initiative, didn't he, with these two? They were seeking, they were following, but it was he who turned round and said, what are you looking for? He started the conversation off with them. And when that conversation began, the disciples asked him, the disciples of John the Baptist, a kind of innocuous, kind of mundane question really, where are you staying? It seemed mundane, but actually it was quite a serious question because what they were really saying in their roundabout Middle Eastern way was, can we come and spend time with you? Can we visit with you? We want to talk with you. We want to learn from you. We want to discover more about you. And Jesus' reply seems equally mundane because he said, well, come and see. But that invitation was also charged with meaning because Jesus was inviting him them into his home and into his life. And he was going to disclose himself to them in that conversation. And it was a conversation that transformed their lives. It was such a significant thing that they became disciples and forever after they would remember the time and the place when it happened, just as I remember the time and the place when as a seven or eight year old little boy I gave my life to Jesus. 24th of April 1954, Alfred Place English Baptist Church, Sunday evening. And they said it was about four o'clock in the afternoon and we stayed with him the rest of the day. Jesus said, keep on asking and you will receive. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. Now perhaps there's somebody watching this service today and you can't really put your hand on your heart and say, I know Jesus. I've committed my life to Jesus. You could say, well, I, I'm curious. I'm interested. I want to know more. I am seeking. Well, I want to encourage you that Jesus will reward your quest. Here's a second piece of encouragement that you can take, and it's this. Jesus sees your potential. Jesus sees your potential. So, John 1 verse 42, Andrew, that was one of those disciples, brought Simon, his brother, to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. So having met Jesus, the very first thing that Andrew does is to go and find his brother Simon. He says, you've got to come and meet this guy called Jesus from Nazareth. I want to introduce you to him. And then Jesus meets Simon and looks intently at Simon. He sees into his heart. He sees his longings and his aspirations. He sees his potential. Jesus sees not only what Simon is, he also sees what he can become. It's as if Jesus is saying, Simon, give your life to me and I will make you the person God first created you to be. I will make you the person who, in your better moments, 
you've always wanted to be. And he says the same kind of thing to us. And he gives Jesus, uh, Simon this wonderful nickname, Rocky. Because that's what Peter in Greek and Cephas in Aramaic mean. Rock. So, impetuous, unstable, unreliable, impulsive Peter becomes a rock. The rock which Jesus uses to found the first church. Amazing. The transformation that was wrought in Peter's life as he met Jesus and eventually was filled with the Spirit of Jesus and empowered to do the work of Jesus. Michelangelo, that great sculptor, was once uh, chipping away at a huge shapeless piece of rock. He was at it for many days until finally he brought forth from the rock a beautiful figure of an angel. And when asked about it, Michelangelo said, I saw the angel in the marble and carved until I set him free. I think one day, as we stand perfected in glory before the Lord Jesus, he will say something similar about us. I saw the angel in Graham Jefferson, or in John, or Mary, or Sue, or Alice. I saw the angel, and I carved until I set them free. And through all the circumstances of our lives, many of which we would not choose for ourselves, Jesus is chipping away at the corners and the rough edges and levelling those proud places in our lives. In the process, he's bringing beauty out of ugliness, creating a work of art out of a shapeless lump. Isn't that what Jesus did with Peter, who was constantly opening his mouth and putting his foot in it, professing undying allegiance even unto death, yet falling at the first hurdle? Jesus tells him, Simon, I see what you are, and I see what you can become men. You know how to catch fish but I'm going to teach you to catch men. With Jesus' help, after the resurrection, Peter caught no less than 153 fish. Amazing! He was astonished. But not many days later, on the day of Pentecost, when he was preaching about this risen Lord Jesus, he caught 3,000 people, brought them to Christ and saw them baptised. And so, in that act, Peter became the de facto founder of the infant church. Jesus sees your potential too. He sees not only what you are, but what you can become by the grace of God. And here's the third piece of encouragement for you to take with you into the coming days. Jesus knows you intimately. Now a bit of a longer passage to read here from John 1 and from verse 43. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Come be my disciple. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went off to look for Nathanael and told him, We've found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth? exclaimed Nathanael. Can anything good come from there? 
Just come and see for yourself, Philip said. As they approached, Jesus said, Ha, here comes an honest man, a true son of Israel. How do you know about me? Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Nathanael replied, Teacher, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Jesus asked him, Do you believe all this just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, The truth is you will see all heaven open and the angels of God going up and down upon the Son of Man. Jesus knew Nathaniel through and through and he knows us through and through as well. He knows our hearts. He knows us better than we know ourselves. God's perfect knowledge of us is a recurring theme of scripture and no passage in the Bible illustrates this more beautifully than Psalm 139. We haven't got time to read it all but I'm going to read the first six verses because they really give a beautiful example of God's perfect knowledge of us. It goes like this. O Lord, you have examined my heart. I know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. (laughs) You know what I'm going to say, even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge, too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. In other words, there's nothing Jesus doesn't know about you. Nothing you tell him will ever be a surprise. And nothing you try to hide from him will ever be a secret. So when the risen Christ sent his messages to the seven churches of Asia Minor, as recorded in the book of Revelation, he greeted each of them, as I recall, with the same words. He said to them, I know. I know. I know. And I wonder how they reacted, how they felt when they heard those words. How were they received, with joy or dread? Well, it depended very much on what they'd been doing, saying or thinking. Now I have four great-grandchildren and I love them to bits. And when mummy or daddy says to one of them, I know what you've been doing, it either gives them a cue to be to hasty retreat or it warns them to get ready to receive a reward. It all depends, again, on what they've been doing or saying or thinking. (laughs) So if this morning or today the Holy Spirit is saying to you, I know, I know, does that fill you with shame and embarrassment or does it encourage and assure you of his love and care? It all depends on what you've been doing. Now Jesus saw Nathaniel, even though they'd never met, he knew what was in Nathaniel's heart. Jesus said to him, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. Whatever he was doing, it must have been good because there's no hint of condemnation in Jesus' statement and there's no evidence that Nathaniel felt ashamed or embarrassed. 
Now in scripture, a fig tree was a place of shelter from the heat of the day. It was a place to find rest and peace, a place to meditate and to pray. And perhaps that's what Nathaniel was doing under the fig tree when Jesus saw him. Now here's the encouragement for every one of us. Jesus sees us too. And he knows us inside out and back to front. Now that might be a cause of a degree of shame or embarrassment. I don't know. But the fact is that Jesus actually knows the worst about you anyway. And he loves you just the same. But he loves you too much to leave you that way. He accepts you the way that you are. By the grace of God, he wants to work in your life to encourage and to foster and to develop those positive qualities and those aspirations for godliness. And by the help of the Holy Spirit, he wants to work with you to eliminate those negative, ungodly and unworthy habits that kind of spoil things. And it's because he knows you intimately without any sense of judgment or condemnation. His heart is full of love and compassion towards you. And he wants you more and more to be changed into his likeness, to become more like him, so that the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility and self-control can be displayed in you because that's the character of Jesus. And that's his purpose in your life. So here are these three encouragements then for us from this, these stories, these encounters. Number one, Jesus will reward your quest. Seek him with all your heart and he will be fine, found by you. Jesus sees your potential. He sees what you are but also what you can become. And with the help of his Holy Spirit, he will enable you to be the person that he originally created you to be. And then, thirdly, he knows you intimately. Nothing you need to hide from him because he sees it all anyway. And by his grace and mercy, he can transform you more into his likeness. So God bless you in this week as you cooperate with Jesus through the work of his Holy Spirit to make you more into his likeness. God bless you. Have a great week. Mm-hmm.